Welcome to the C3 Eastern Suburbs podcast. We're glad to have you tune in today and hope this message blesses you. If you'd like to visit, we meet in Glen Innes, Auckland on Sundays at 10am. You can also find us on www.c3easternsuburbs.org.nz. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome back to church. Absolutely fantastic to have you with us. Uh, we're in this little mini-series which we're doing on Back to Life. And uh, just this whole thing that Jesus raised the dead and resurrection power flows right throughout Christianity. That things that die have the possibility of coming back to life. And uh, so last Sunday we kind of introduced that whole idea. And this Sunday I want to talk to you about back to life for families. This whole thing of reconnection and families coming back to life. Uh, you know, so often in, in life we can get estranged from each other. Uh, we have disconnection, we have things which fall over, we have prodigals who get lost. And I think that everybody knows a prodigal, right? We all know somebody who, who maybe once walked with God and then for one reason or another uh, they walked away. And we think that the, the, the good news of the gospel for one reason or another wasn't good enough, right? That somehow that good news didn't flow through. And, and I guess for me, we're not talking about like faceless nobodies. Uh, we're talking about much-loved people who are extremely precious to us, right? Who, who here knows someone? Who, who, someone who's absolutely precious to you. And for, for one reason or another, they're not walking with God at the moment. And, uh, you know, some leave uh, the church stomping their feet and slamming doors, Right? <laughs> the old, I'm out of here, those ones. And others drift just slowly and quietly, making their exit as they walk away from God. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's a shouting match, and sometimes it's the silent treatment. And we, we have this verse which we kind of quote around these things in Proverbs 22. And it says this, Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. And we think, you know, great verse. And But we can't, I guess for me, it's like we can't just bury our heads in the sand, but we must acknowledge that there are those who have actually departed from their faith. So somehow the training must have been deficient at some point, right? We think, where did we miss it? And so often we have kind of that feeling of guilt. You know, did we pray enough? Do we have enough faith? Uh, was the pastor's teaching good enough? Or was it rubbish? <laughs> was he biblical enough? Was the church relevant enough? Was the youth group good enough? And these are the questions which we ask. And one of the, the, the big questions we ask is, will the prodigal come home? Will the prodigal actually turn back up? And, and personally, I kind of, I've wrestled how to pitch this um, and even this whole series. And the problem... I guess, of doing a series on raising the dead, it's very easy to overpromise and underdeliver, right? <laughs> it's very easy to, you know, we're going to raise the dead in the name of Jesus. It's going to be awesome. Everything's coming back to life. And, and, and I don't want to present to you a, um, an easy fix, you know, three steps to guaranteed success in the name of Jesus or a spiritual abracadabra because I don't think that's real. Um, so let me tell you what I'm not trying to do and then I'll tell you what I am trying to do and hopefully we'll sit somewhere in that. So what I'm really trying hard not to do this morning is to add guilt, disappointment 
and pain to what we already carry and feel, right? Let's not add to that <laughs> at this point. I'm also I'm really trying hard not to just provide pat answers and cliches. And I'm definitely not trying to, hey, just summon up a little bit more faith and it'll be all good. And I promise to you that I will tread carefully because uh, I know there's hearts involved in this. There are hearts involved. And we also need to acknowledge uh, right up the front here that some prodigals will not come home, no matter how much we pray and long for their return. God has given us as humans this incredible capacity for free will and let's be honest as humans we can be a fairly stubborn breed right <laughs> and um, we as humans we have this incredible capacity to wonder and get lost however at the part in the sermon let's not resign ourselves to that point in the journey and not dwell too long on the what ifs or should haves and if, if onlys um, but we would position ourselves in a place of hope and faith and purpose. So this, that's not what I'm trying to do. What, this is what I am trying to do this morning. I want to stir within you faith and hope. Come on. That as we come into church, that something of faith and hope would be upon us. And, and I, as I've been preparing this stuff, this whole thing of this call back to life, that we have a voice, that we have a cry within our hearts that would call people and speak life and liberty and freedom into people, that there would be a healing of relationships. Who's on for that? Come on. It's got to be a place of hope and life. The second thing I want to do is that we'd point towards Christ the Redeemer. See, Christ is the restorer of broken lives. He's the restorer of broken families. That's, that's what he specializes in. And, and when you look right throughout the narrative, the story that flows right through the Bible, it's this incredible story of redemption, of restoring humanity, restoring creation back to where it should be. There's redemption, there's salvation. The taking that which is broken, that is messed up and breathing new life in it. And that's what I believe God wants to do. See, I'm I, I looking at this. The, the devil's aim, it's always separation, right? It's always division. It's always trying to push people apart. But the Father heart of God, God the Father, he watches and waiters, waits. And I want to point you towards a patient, selfless, generous, grace-filled, ever-loving God. God the Father who loves you. And the third thing which I'm trying to achieve this morning is that I want us to be a prodigal-friendly church. That when you come into this place, that you would not meet the older brother who is grumpy, that the younger brother has come home and that there's a party going on, but that you would experience and meet the Father, that you'd meet the Father heart of God. And... Um, as I've promised you in the series, each week we're going to look at a raised from the dead story in the Bible. So uh, this morning, if you've got your Bibles, phones, iPads, or it'll come up on the screen, so just relax. Um, but if you want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, we've got this little story of the Shumanite woman. 
in 2 Kings 4. And let me give you a little bit of context to where we're at with it. We are in the Old Testament, okay? So this is the time before Jesus. It's the time of the Old Testament prophets. And we've got this guy by the name of Elisha. So he's followed on from Elijah, and he's traveling around. He's this traveling prophet, uh, man of God kind of guy. And he is the Shunammite woman. And what's a Shunammite woman? Uh, she comes from the land of Shunam or the town of Shunam. So that's why she gets called the, the Shunammite woman. And she's noticed that um, this guy, this Elisha, keeps passing through and he keeps coming through town. And so she decides she's going to build a, uh, a room on the top of her house so that whenever Elisha comes through, she's, he's got um, somewhere to stay and invites him in. And so this is going on, and we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 11. So 2 Kings 4, verse 11. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room. So this is the room which was built on the top of her house. And he, he lay down there, and he said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shumanite. So he called her, and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now, what can we done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king of the commander of the army? And uh, so Elisha's saying, hey, look, I know people. I can hook you up. I can make some things happen. What do you want? What do you need? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. And so she's saying, hey, look, I appreciate your offer, but I've got a good home. My needs are provided for. Really? I don't need anything. I'm happy with the status quo. And uh, Elisha asked, what can be done for her? Gehazi said she has no son and her husband is old. In the Bible, you know, in the Bible times, especially at this time, to have no kids to be barren, that was like not good. They were kind of in the time of go forth and multiply. Sort of that was the that was the plan in those times. And so to be barren was not brilliant. You didn't have a lineage or um, kids to follow on behind you. And so Elisha said, Call her. So he called her and he stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, You will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your service. Don't overpromise. Don't you know what's going on here? But the woman became pregnant, and about the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha has told her. And, and this thing is this, this whole next generation coming through. It's about the people following behind and uh, this son re represents that. It, re it represents hope, future potential. You know when you have a kid and, and uh, you carry them, grandchild, and they're full of like hopes, dreams, potential um, before they get to, you know, maybe two. And then it goes crazy. You go, what? They're out of control. What happened? They get their own opinions. They learn to say no. And uh, there's this child. And it says the child grew as they do. And one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. And, and so often the, the devil attacks at harvest time. And the father told the service, carry him to his mother, which is, you know, typical dad, isn't it? <laughs> you know, when something's wrong, <laughs> go see your mom, <laughs> sort it out. And after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon. And then what? And he died. Go, what? No. Here's the promise of God. Here's this miracle child. Here's this kid, which Elisha has, you know, prayed for and has turned up. Can't die. I mean, that's not, that's not the happily ever after story which we're all looking for, right? 
Has anyone had anything which died which is not supposed to die? And you go, what the heck, God? I thought, I thought I heard your voice. I thought you spoke to me. I thought I was in the right place. I thought I was doing the thing right. And then the thing has gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. Where did she put him? Where did she take him right at that time? She took him to this room. See, she take, took him to this place where the presence of God, where Elisha, see, what we've got to make sure that we do is that in the good times that we prepare a room where people can come home to. So in the bad times when things turn to custard, there's a place where we can go. And I think with our kids, we've got to make sure that we provide a safe place where they can come back to so that they know where home is and there's a place that they can return and find that place. So she called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why do you go to, uh, why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon of the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to the servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant, Gehazi, look, there's a Shumanite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. Was everything all right? No, everything was not all right. Everything was custard. But she says everything's all right. She knew that the boy was dead. He died in her arms. A son she didn't ask for. A son she'd grown to love. This future, this hope, this potential. And we skip down to verse 32. And Elisha turns up. When Elisha reached the house, there was this boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Come on. We've got to find that place of prayer, that place where we can cry out to God and call on his name. We've got to find that, I was going to say closet, but that sounds weird. <laughs> find the, 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 the place where we meet with God, where we call on his name, that place which we've built in those times. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, and he stretched himself out on him and the boy's body grew warm. When I read that, that sounds weird, but uh, that's what happened, okay? Elijah turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got into the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Come on, back to life. Resurrection power right there comes into the room. And, and when you read through that story, there's like the, the, this, like the agony and the ecstasy. There's the highs and the lows. And if anyone's had kids, you know that they exist, right? There's the great moments and the celebrations. There's also the what-the-heck moments which we have around it. But I believe that God wants to bring situations, people, back to life. In the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15, verse 32, it said, this is um, the father to the older brother. And he says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead... And is alive again, he was lost and he is found. 
of coming back to life. See, what does, what, what does home look like? What does home look like when they're coming home? Because so often I think that we can have fixed ideas of what coming home looks like, you know. It has to come back to this location, choice of friends, choice of church, choice of career, choice of hairstyle. And uh, so often we think of home as where we are and the things we prefer. But maybe it, it looks a little bit different. See, maybe God is slightly bigger than our concepts of him. Actually, uh, Zane sent me a story through the week. Um, and just come and share that quickly with us, Zane. We'll pre- appreciate that. Morning, everyone. I'm going to try not to be emotional. <laughs> um, when I was 18, my uh, parents got divorced. Uh, my dad had had an affair, and um, I'm really losing it. Um, and um, he had uh, um, he had fallen in love with an alcoholic. Uh, he had gone off the rails. He had tried to commit suicide once or twice, and uh, things were quite tough. Um, Two years on, I, um, I was kind of in this mentorship team with a couple of guys, and the one guy was saying to me how his, his parents were getting remarried after being divorced for four years. And I was quite excited for him, but when I went home that night, I was kind of heartbroken, thinking, what can that happen to me? And um, yeah, so that happened. And then about two months later, my sister had invited us to my um, nephew's uh, baby dedication, and... I was in this moment of asking God, why isn't my family restored? I saw my parents both worshipping God. And at that moment, God said, your family has been restored. Um, now I have two siblings. It's a little bit different. Our family is like two stepsisters. Uh, so it's a little bit different. My dad remarried the alcoholic. She's been off alcohol for years. Um, they're leaving, leading a ministry team in their church, which has been amazing. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what my family looks like. A little bit weird, but different to the normal. But restoration is different for everyone. And just two side notes, God kind of reminded me over there, so I better share them. Um, two weird things happened to me on my journey. Uh, this friend of mine that was mentoring me through the situation told me, you need to forgive your father. And I said, no way. And he said, well, I, that's what God is telling you. I've been praying for you, so do it however you want to do. If you want to just write him a letter, make a phone call, send him a text, not the best idea, but do what you need to do. So prayed for about it for a few days, and um, I decided I'm going to write him a letter. I probably started, get, I got to like maybe line number one, dear dad, and he phoned me. He said, I'm in the area, can I meet with you? I don't know about you about that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's cut the story short, me and my dad, two grown-ass men crying in the lounge, um, 100% forgiven. So that's been amazing. The other story was that I was really struggling with having siblings, like from another mother, and um, it was quite a journey for me, and God one day said to me, before they were in the womb, I knew them, and that changed my whole perspective. I don't think, it's not that, <laughs> it's not that uh, his, his goal was to, uh, for my parents to be divorced, but he can make anything good. Yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Come on. See, God's a God of reconciliation. And sometimes what we think it should look like isn't what it actually looks like. And sometimes, we, yeah, we have it all figured out. Well, God's bigger. 
he's different. And, and when, when Zane sent through the story, I, read, I thought, yeah, yeah, there's life in that. There's life in that. There's, there's liberty in that. There's hope in that. And we need to carry those hopes, those dreams alive. See, we, we need some good theology around this and, and the whole idea of the now but the not yet, that the kingdom of God is now but not yet. The fullness of the kingdom of God, we don't see on this earth. We, can get, we get glimpses of eternity where eternity breaks through upon us. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. How do we do this? How do we pray? And he, and he said the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what prayer is, it's, it's calling what is in heaven down to earth and calling that into being. And the, and the fullness of the redemption power of Christ is in heaven when we get to heaven. Where there's no, no sickness, there's no disease, there's no death, there's all the good and eventually we know that the dead will be raised and all sickness healed. Healed, But I'm also, I'm praying for heaven to break through on earth, right? Who's praying for that? That we believe for heaven to come to earth and that we position ourselves in that place of faith and hope. You know, there is incredible power of the power of the praying parent, uh, power of the praying parent. There's a great alliteration right there. You can't even say. Or grandparents. So many stories of grandparents who, who have prayed for their kids and seen them come in. And I believe that we need to just ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, and believe. See, because God loves the prodigals even more than we do. You know, we, our heart breaks for the prodigals, right? But God's heart is above and beyond even what we carry around that, that we'd pray and believe around that. And the last thing here is that, that, that we, there would be a prodigal-friendly church. Come on, people. That would meet the loving father, not the older brother. There's this brilliant uh, preacher by Rembrandt in 1669. He painted the story of the prodigal son. I think we might have that up there, Liam. Is the picture there? So the next slide. Yeah. And it's just the father embracing his son. And there's kind of, spoke, you can't hardly see it, but there's the older brother in the background with a little bit of scowl on his face. But there's this whole thing of, that, they, that when you come into the kingdom of God, when you come into church, that you would meet the father and you get that warm embrace not the, what have you done with your hair look, you know? <laughs> have you heard of those ones? <laughs> the, you're not going out looking like that look around that. See, church is a place for sinners. Church has got to be a place for sinners. And, and, and you know when you have that feeling, when you've invited someone along to church for the first time and they're either away from God or don't understand the whole God thing, when you're going, and, and everything in church you're going, oh man, I hope that, I was going to say, I hope that weird person doesn't talk to them, or I hope that, 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 that they don't sing that song, or I hope that, that you know, that all those sort of things become heightened around us. But come on, as a church, can we embrace and be the friendliest, nicest, loving people that we can possibly ever be so that the prodigals can come home, that they find a place where they can walk in and do the journey and turn up however they come in that whole place, whatever the heck it looks like.
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, if anyone is new Christ, they are new creation has come and his hold is gone. And, and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So I love that. See, God has given us, because he, he, he knows about a new creation, a new life, but he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So you want to say, I'm a minister of reconciliation, <laughs> you know? That's what he's given to you, that, that, that ministry to, to reconcile things to himself. It says that God was, it says this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Who's thankful for that? Come on. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So you're an ambassador of Christ and you carry the ministry of reconciliation. What does that look like for church? Come on. That we would we'd carry that grace and hope and love around it. And that, that it would feel like a party rather than a funeral, right? Then when people turn up, that, 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 that there would be a party going on. You know, who's experienced a little bit of post-COVID separation and that you finally get to meet your grandchildren or get to hang out with your, you know, your, your grandparents or, or people you haven't seen for a long time. What do you do? You grab them and you give them a big embrace because you, you've missed them. That, that, that would be upon us, that sort of embrace. That, that, that you would uh, kill the fattened calf. Come on. We'd celebrate the kingdom of God. There'd be a celebration going on. See, what I find, even when I'm reading through, all, I've been reading through all these uh, race to life stories in the Bible, and one of the things which they always seem to do is immediately give them food, which I like. Probably too much. <laughs> um, but it's all, and I'm not quite sure it's whether to check out that they can actually eat something, they're not a ghost. It's like, okay, quick, feed them something. Or maybe that you get really, really hungry after you've been dead. I don't know. <laughs> but all it seems that as soon as they're alive, you know, they here, have a piece of broad fish or something. Check it out. They're actually there. So let's have food, right? Who's on for that? Feed, feed the people. Uh, let me finish. Um, what I've done, and, and I, and I th- it's a little bit, I don't know, tacky, I'm struggling with this, but I've made a little bookmark. Um, if we can hand those out, thanks, Francois, to everybody. And um, just, I want us to, yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, I want us to start to pray for the prodigals. Pray for the people we know. That we position ourselves in this place of faith and hope. And, and I know for, uh, it might seem a little bit... I don't know. How do I feel about it? I feel like it's really badly guillotined. That's what I feel about it. But, these, <laughs> but, but I, I created these last night because um, I wanted to give something tangible. And, and I, I don't want us just to hear nice sermons and say, oh, that was a great sermon or average sermon or whatever, and then just, and then, and then just, then just walk away. But I want you to think right now, Who's someone you know? Maybe you need to grab a pen or a paper or there's, there's room on there. Maybe just maybe there's one person, maybe there's two people, maybe there's three people who you would love to see come home. And that we would position ourselves in that place of faith. And begin to pray and ask and seek and knock. That we would call heaven to earth. They would call heaven to earth around this whole thing.
And why don't we just stand?